0: Just a quick reminder, as we're walking along in the Gospel of Mark, we find that Jesus is ministering in power, healing, signs, wonders, miracles, deliverance. We're watching incredible things happen um, through the ministry of Christ. And we know that he's back in his, what he's calling his hometown. He was raised in Nazareth, but he's made his home base Capernaum, and that's where he is located at this time. The crowds are coming, they're swelling. We talked about how many crowds, uh, many people in the crowd are coming for something from Jesus rather than to know him personally, knowing that he might be the Messiah. And we've noted the contrast between that, but it's inescapable at this point that crowds are growing and more and more people wanna check out who Jesus of Nazareth really is. And so Jesus and his disciples, before the verse that I'm gonna read, they make their way down to the Sea of Galilee And this provides a great opportunity for Jesus' teaching ministry. And we're going to read verses 1 through 20. And here's what the Bible says. You can follow along. He began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And he was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. After the sun had risen, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked it and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil and as they grew up, it increased and they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60 and 100 fold. As he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers along with the 12 began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you, it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise they might return and be forgiven. Verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear immediately, Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones in whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. You should underline that in your Bible. This is a categorical term, important term. The desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil. Everybody say good soil. That's what you and I want to be today. We want to be good soil. Tell us about it, Jesus. Jesus. I think he will. And they hear the word and they accept it and they bear fruit 30, 60, and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord, amen. In our previous passage, Jesus told the disciples to get the boat ready. Now, nothing happened with the boat. You might remember that in Mark three, get the boat ready. And they do just that. And now we know why the crowds were too large. They were moving in on him almost to the point of crushing him. And so Jesus steps into the boat, he pushes off a little bit so he can teach the whole crowd and that they can hear him. And you wanna picture like a little cove area along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, some critics would say that Jesus wouldn't be able to speak to seven to 10,000 people. And that's actually not true. There are many who have studied whether or not this can happen according to the acoustics from sort of a cove, and as Jesus would push out in the boat, he would be able to speak in such a way where seven, ten thousand 10,000 people can actually hear him. I love the studies. You can go online and read them about, there's a road now by many of these coves in this land where... Jesus probably was. And, and up on the road, if somebody's driving by and they have their window down, they can hear people talking that are down or, you know, talking very, at least clearly and not quietly, but they can hear people talking that are down there at the cove area or those that are in the boats fishing. You can actually hear them and participate in their conversation as you're driving your car. The acoustics were incredible. And so this is, this is an awesome moment where Jesus does something spectacular and I observed this as I was reading the passage, and I don't want us to miss this. Jesus moves from his miraculous ministry, right? He's doing miracles. People are coming because they want a miracle. And we've noted how people want something from him. And so that's part of the motivation to come to the Jesus conference and gather around. Now Jesus moves from the miraculous ministry to his teaching. And I think it's intentional, In fact, I think we're going to notice this because as he tells this parable, he wants to help true seekers become sincere disciples. And friends, there are a lot of seekers, people that want to know about Jesus, they want to hear about Jesus, they want to experience Jesus, but he wants to convert the seeker to a sincere disciple, and there is a difference. We find it again and again, that is his intention, and we certainly are going to see it here in his teaching. This teaching is about the heart. It's about the heart that is fruitful. It's almost like Jesus gathering the crowds and he's like, Look, after ministering for some period of time, I want to tell you something. If you really want to be my disciple, if you really want to stay following me, if you really have found in me what you're looking for, I am going to tell you how your life will be fruitful as a disciple. I will tell you how you will have keeping power. I will tell you how this will sustain through every season that comes your way. I will tell you it's going to be about the condition of your heart. If your heart is not right, you will not receive what you need. You will not be here in the times ahead. He's looking at the crowd and he's telling a story about why they need to have the right condition of their heart and it's quite, quite clear from the passage that this applies to us as well. But before we get sort of to the crux of the four soils, which is really the point and where we're going to land, and I think what Jesus emphasizes, let me, let me talk to you a little bit about the surrounding context. It's very important that we capture this, especially because we're going to keep going through the book of Mark, and these things will matter. And the first is this, Jesus taught in parables. Verse two says, and he began teaching them in many Uh, parables. Part of the teaching style of Jesus, and really was not exclusive to Jesus, was to tell these types of stories to bring forth a truth or a specific truth. This type of teaching was common for rabbis in Jesus's day, and so they were very used to that. However, the rabbis in Jesus's culture, they would usually speak to high society. So when you read some of the rabbinical teachings, you'll find that they will sort of relate to the people in like royal court settings. Well, the majority of people did not live the fancy life. They didn't live in high society. They did not understand those things in a detailed way. And don't you love how Jesus, when he teaches parables, he uses ones that would relate to common folks, simple people. Now, I'm, not, I'm just going to say it like you and me. Come on. Now, he, he's trying to talk to ev- average, everyday people. And they weren't used to that. In fact, there is about 46 parables. And we're going to go over every single parable today. (laughs) In an abbreviated fashion. And so I put these together for you. Look at what Jesus talks about. First ones, he talks about a new cloth, a new wine, a lamp on a stand, wise and foolish builders. He talks about a money lender that forgives unequal debts. You can see people shaking your head. Yeah, totally. I I owe a lot of people money. A rich man builds bigger barns uh, and they're all thinking not themselves, but others. Yeah, they don't give to us. They don't help anybody. People that need to remain watchful. He talks about the sower seed and soils. That's what we're studying today. He talks about the hidden treasure. You remember he said the kingdom of God is is like a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. Now, a lot of them are going to have fields, but none of them are going to find a treasure hidden in a field. So it's a very exciting parable. It's like, wow, I've got this field, but you're telling me like I found a treasure hidden, hidden in a field that would have put them on the edge of their seat. These are things they would relate to. And of course, people would understand sheep and shepherds, the good Samaritan and a friend in need, a cost of discipleship, lots of sheep. You remember the lost coin? He talks about the lost coin. Do you think rich people would care about losing a quarter? So he's talking to people that don't have much. He's like, it's when somebody lost a coin, like this is how God's heart is toward people. It's like losing that one sheep in the midst of the 99, the the lost coin, they turned up all over their house so they could find the one coin. And I bet you people in the audience were like, yeah, I've done that before. I lost my money and it's literally all I had. And I tore through my house to find it. The rich people would have scoffed. You could see the Pharisees are pretty well paid and they're on the outside going, what's he talking about? But everybody else loved it. Everybody else understood it because of who he was speaking to. Go to the next slide. I told you this is really quick, didn't I? I told you. The fig tree, the wise and foolish servants, the invitation to a wedding banquet, they they all knew this. The servants and the talents, and of course, the sheep and the goats, the sheep being good and the goats being bad. I know, I know. The older I get, the worse it gets. There's no hope. My life as a stand up comedian. That ship sailed, you know. Never, never touched down on any port that I was at. Two things I want us to learn about parables today. Number one, a parable is a natural story containing a spiritual truth, which we saw. And so, what this literally means is to throw alongside. That's literally what parable means. And so what you have is a story that Jesus is telling everyone relates to and then he throws a truth right alongside it. A parable is not an allegory. Allegories are filled with details like the Chronicles of Narnia or C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. You you read the story it's allegorical and all these little details matter, the colors matter, all these little things that are brought up matter. Not in parables. Parables has a point. Sometimes Jesus will tell three parables in a row and every single parable has the same point. And there are a lot of commentators and commentaries that spend an incredible amount of time trying to extrapolate principles that literally don't matter and don't make sense. He's talking to common people. He's not giving a cosmic puzzle. Hey, here's a story. Hope you figure it out. It's not what he's trying to do. But it is interesting that when Jesus tells a story, there's the second thing that he's trying to do with a parable, and that's this. A parable draws the seeker, but it distances the superficial. After telling the parable in verse nine, he only tells the story, but he doesn't explain it. And then he says this, anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. Everybody has ears. Everybody was standing there. What is he saying? If you have ears to hear, let everyone understand. He's trying to give them a second invitation to understand, and guess what? Nobody did. Nobody understood what Jesus was saying, but there was a difference between the disciples and everyone else that was standing there, and look at it. This is what it says in verse 10. As soon as he was alone, after he told the first part of the parable, his followers, look, and 12. So there's more than just the disciples. There's several people out of this big crowd, his followers and the 12, What did they do? They began asking him about the parables. Look at the difference. There was a group of people that actually wanted to know and understand, and there was a group of people that seemingly didn't. And Jesus looks at them and says this, to you, to who? Those that are inquiring, those that are asking, the seeker, to the one that wants to actually know this, the ones coming to me and asking the question, to you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God but to those who are outside get everything in parables so that while seeing, they may, not, they may see and not perceive and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. Nobody understood, but Jesus looks at those that asked the question and I believe he smiled and he thoroughly explained. Can I tell you today, Jesus wants us to understand Are there things that you don't understand about Christianity, about Jesus, about the Bible? He wants us to understand, but it's not just going to be simple. It's not going to happen overnight. It is a pursuit of God, and it happens to those who are taking steps to seek God's truth, and people that do that will understand And Jesus actually says this because it is not his desire to separate people, to say, I want you and not you. I like you, not you so much. That is not what he's doing here, but he quotes Isaiah 6 and verse 9 and 10, which is a part of Isaiah's commission. And that's where he literally says there are people who are going to see, but they can't see. There are people who are going to listen, but they cannot hear. There are different kinds of people who are listening. In Isaiah six, this is an amazing passage of scripture. It's where Isaiah gets the divine commission of God. This is where Isaiah has an encounter, a heavenly encounter with God. And at the end of it, God is speaking sort of in this heavenly court. And he says, who will go? Who can we send? And Isaiah, here I am. I mean, that's how I would have done it. Send me. And then God says this to Isaiah, what Jesus just quoted. He said, okay, Isaiah, I'm gonna send you out and your words are gonna bring accountability. When you speak the oracle of God, when you say what I tell you to say, I want you to know this is an obstinate, stiff-necked people and you need to be prepared that the majority are not going to listen because they don't care. This word stiff-necked, right? Resistant is another way we could say it. And so Jesus uses that story about Isaiah the prophet and the divine commission, and his calling to speak to Israel who didn't want to repent and respond to God. He uses that same story, and he quotes that verse for Jesus's own ministry and what's happening with the crowds. This is a remarkable parallel, and it's very telling, not of what Jesus wanted, but literally what was happening. Why? Jesus is saying, there are some that come, and they are part of the crowd. They don't want to be trained. They want to be touched. They don't wanna be equipped, they wanna be encouraged. They don't wanna be instructed, they wanna be inspired. And friends, Jesus wants to turn those people into sincere seekers of God. People that want to know the truth, people that yield to the truth, that's his desire. But the story itself is very telling. He targets the heart. He says the people that have the right heart are gonna hear the truth and they're going to have the life that is fruitful. That's what Jesus lands the plane on. That's the point of the whole parable. People that have the right heart, a receptive heart, a responsive heart to the words and the ways of God are going to produce 30, 60, 100 fold. Well, that's the end of the story. We can pray right now if you want. No. I'm just, I have too much more to say. But he tells them very clearly what he's after. It's the condition of the heart. Well, let's look real quickly at the elements of the parable. There are three things that primarily matter in the story that Jesus tells. It's the sower, the seed, and the soil. The sower is Jesus. Verse three, the sower went out to sow some seed. This is reflective of what Jesus has been doing. Jesus has been traveling around preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He is the sower. Now in our day, Jesus has commissioned us to be sowers. We are the ones sowing the seed of the kingdom. We are now the preachers of God's word the church of Jesus Christ, have been given. Go preach the gospel to all creation. Go make disciples of all nations. We are the ones that are sowing the seed. But in this context, it was Jesus. And the seed is the message of the kingdom. In this particular passage, it says the word of God. But in Matthew's version, it says the message of the kingdom, synonymous terms. And then he lands on the soil. And he tells a story about four different kinds of soil that represent four different hearts. And that's what we wanna spend the rest of our time on today because that really is the purpose of the parable, the four different soils. And we know he's talking about the heart. The soil represents the heart because the heart is the centrality of who we are as people. When Jesus talked about summing up the whole law, he said, love the Lord with all your mind Heart, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbors yourself. He shows us in scripture because he talks about it many times that the heart is the centrality. The heart is the seat of your emotions and your affections and your will and the place where you make decisions from. It is the heart, it's that internal part of us that Jesus is always targeting. And the Bible teaches. Not only that our hearts are the core of who we are, sort of just metaphorically, but spiritually, just like our physical heart is our most vital organ and it causes life-giving blood to flow to every part of our body, so our heart spiritually causes the same to be true for us. In order to have a true, fruitful, spiritual life as a disciple, we have to have the right heart. So he walks through these different soils, these different hearts, and I wanna do that with you. The first, soil number one is what I'm calling the indifferent heart. The indifferent heart verse 15. Jesus explains that some seed falls along the path beside the road. This is the person who hears the word and Satan immediately steals it. And he gives an illustration. It's like birds that swoop down when the sower is sowing and right after because the path they can see the seed and they they know that that's an opportunity for them birds swoop down and they actually steal the seed. Now, There's two elements there. Number one is the seed is a hard-trodden path. This is probably the path that the farmer would walk on so that they can sow the seed far and wide. In those times they didn't have like big fields like we did. A lot of them were very choppy. And so there was always a path so that the farmer could walk along and not just have to do it only in their field. And so it's probably what he's referring to. And as he's talking, people are looking at fields. I mean they can see them all around them. And all of these places by the Sea of Galilee, it was very, a clear picture that they saw. They, they understood it very simply. But Jesus is saying, this person is available to the enemy. I want you to hear that. What does it mean? That, that means that the actual preaching or sharing of God's word is spiritual warfare in and of itself. It's spiritual warfare. I mean, I, you know, don't have a particular relationship with birds that is positive, So if you love birds, I I apologize for the next two minutes, but, and I don't mean like, you know, I'm not anti-bird, all right? I'm anti-bird flu, but do you guys remember a story I told about like with the crows in my neighborhood? Good, don't remember it, but did you know a group of crows, like the gang of crows, their gang is called Murder, did you know that? Demonic. Yeah. And I like shoot some crows away one time, and and then I was told somebody's like, "Don't do that. Crows are vindictive, and they remember." I'm like, "They're birds. They're birds. What are you talking about?" Well, that person was right. I swear, I come home and they're perched on the trees that are left, and they're just like, "Rah!" They're like talking to each other, like he's back. One time, I had a crow. No joke. I've got a video to prove it. You think I'm exaggerating? I'll bring it to you one day. I don't want to do it during church. Not a good thing. But I. I was coming home and the, the, literally the crow was in our neighborhood. I don't know what he was doing, but he was challenging me. He was like bucking up, you know, like, what's up? You want some? I mean, he was coming at me. It's funny because it's actually true. And if I showed you the video, you'd go, wow, I'm not even sure if I should laugh anymore. And so, I mean, we have a BB gun, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I would pray about that. I wouldn't do it though, but we have one. It's my son's. I wouldn't borrow it. But uh, we tried to add to our lawn this last season before the winter came. We put that beautiful three-way topsoil. We tamped it down. We rolled it out back front. And then I went to Home Depot and I bought that hydro-colored, it's got to be toxic seed. Have you ever seen that? Somebody spray painted that stuff. Like don't, I mean, use gloves. So grab that stuff. And I'm I'm feeling all biblical. I'm just throwing out the seed, you know, just. And then I'm like, I'm a modern man. So I went and got one of those things. And, and I'm being generous, man. I'm, I'm pouring it on the seat. I'm like, this is going to be lush. This is going to be beautiful. This is go- I mean, the neighbors are going to be jealous. If there's an award, I'm going to get it. It's, it's uh, got a homeowners association. I only know when something's wrong. But, uh, but I'm doing all that. And then one day I come home from work. I get out of my car. No joke. This is how it is. And I thought I was having like an illusion because sometimes I see visions. And so, you know, being prophetic every now and again, you think you're You know, like, thank you, Lord. I don't know. But I get out of my car and I see, like, the ground moving on my lawn. And I realize it's these little birds, not the crows, but these little birds, and they're just all over the lawn. I mean, they're just, I mean, they brought their cousins and grandmothers and grand, I mean, they got everybody out of the nest and they're feasting on our, not our soil, but they're eating all our seed, man. They're eating all of it. And I'm thinking to myself, die, birds, like, die. And, uh, but, I literally walked my lawn, and you can do it now. I mean, it's patchy city. Uh, But they ate all the seed, not some of the seed. Friends, they ate all of the seed. So I went out in the shed, and I got more seed. That's what I did. And more seed, they just thought we were trying to feed them. That's all they did. And most of them are in an undisclosed location at this time. So no, that's not true. I've learned that these birds, they eat the sea. Jesus uses the birds as an illustration. He does. He says, this is what a person's like that's indifferent. A person that is indifferent to the word of God when it is shared, when it is spoken, when it is preached. When it comes to them, they're so accessible to the elements, to the enemy, that it just gets stolen. They don't even have a chance. There's no growth at all. It's just gone in one ear and out the other. This is a." An unregenerate person, a person that is not born again, they're not concerned about eternity. They're not interested in the things of God. They're apathetic towards spiritual truth. They're a happy agnostic. This is what Jesus is talking about, and this person has has been given has given access to the enemy. Simply put, they're not a Christian. They're not concerned with the words of Jesus. And this truth from Jesus teaches us that sharing and hearing the word of God is spiritual warfare. And Paul follows it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. Listen to what he says. He says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, what Paul is not saying is that we need to not preach the gospel to people that don't believe. Paul is the first one to tell people we need to preach to everyone. We don't know who God is going to save. We don't know who's going to respond, but it is our responsibility, and Jesus certainly modeled this, that we need to share the gospel of Jesus because there is so much power in the seed, The seed carries the same power no matter what soil is on it. So Jesus is emphasizing that if the soil is bad, even though it has a powerful seed, it will do nothing. And so he is warning people to not have an indifferent heart, a heart that doesn't care, a heart that isn't interested. And if you know someone, or maybe you came today and you don't believe in Jesus... You don't know him, you don't love him, you're not forgiven by him, you're not gonna be with him for eternity and you're not sure about it. I'm telling you just the very fact that you're here or you're listening online and you're hearing that Jesus loves you, that he died on a cross for you, he came to forgive you, he rose on the third day to prove that he was God's son and he wants to set eternity in our hearts but he is waiting for us to turn to him in faith and repentance. And he tells us the church to pray that God would soften the soil of the people in our world. Friend, I wanna tell you something. There is no reason that we need to be angry at people who do not believe in Jesus. It is our responsibility as the church of Jesus to pray that God would soften the soil. And I would tell you the only way that we can stay angry at an unbelieving world is that we don't have a soft enough heart or a prayerful enough life to believe that God can change them. Paul is the guy that literally was on that beat down, trodden path. Do you remember when Paul was called Saul and he's going to Damascus and all of a sudden he has a heavenly encounter and Jesus reveals himself and Jesus speaks and he said, who is it, Lord, that's speaking to me? And Jesus says, it is I, the one whom you are persecuting. And he remained blind for several days. God opened his mind, he opened his heart and Saul, who became Paul, gave his life to Jesus. He's the one that's talking here in 2 Corinthians chapter four. He's talking about how the enemy has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. He once was the unbelieving, but he has all kinds of faith in his heart to believe that God can change the hard ground to soft soil, And so we as the church believe that as we pray, as we seek God's face and we contend in intercession, it is our belief that he will soften the soil of this region, of this state, of this nation and the nations of the world. God will send the rain and he will soften the soil as his people pray. Every revival I have ever read was preceded by a movement of prayer. And I'm telling you as definitively, as clearly as I know how, that when the people of God begin to pray, people get saved but the first revival is a revival of prayer. Prayerlessness is a revelation of a lack of dependence on God and a belief that he can do what man cannot do. We we should just go home now. That was good. good. Period. Good night. (laughs) Jesus now shows through his church or sows through his church so that we can pray, so that we can Spend our life sharing the truth with people. It's warfare and we enter into it gladly. The second soil is what I'm calling the superficial heart. Verse 16 and 17, Jesus explains how some seed falls on the rocky soil. He is referring to the soil that has an inch or two before there are rocks underneath it. And the seeds sort of spring up quick and the roots have nowhere to go down below. So the crop dies when the sun comes out. Doesn't matter if the rain comes doesn't matter if the sun comes. All the elements can be perfect, but the soil's not, so it can't grow. It springs up, and then it dies. All it takes is for enough of the sun to hit it, and it scorches away. And he's saying, this is a person who hears the word initially, responds to it, receives it gladly, in our terms, gets really excited. I love the idea that I get forgiveness for when I sin and heaven when I die, and I could live however I want. Is that the gospel? No, no friend. That's not, I mean, if you came thinking that, I hope hopefully you leave not thinking that. This is a person that gets really excited. Of course I want forgiveness for when I sin and heaven when I die. But the question is, do I want Jesus through it all and in it all for the rest of my life? Am I going to follow him no matter what happens? Jesus said that this person falls away because of persecution and trials when people around you don't like you because you're following Jesus, when difficulties come into your life and it causes a disillusionment or a disappointment and then you, we look up and we say, God, why is this happening? Why, why isn't my life the way that I think it should be, prayed it should be, or even that pastor told me it would be? What if it's not just everyone as individuals fault? What if the church is complicit in this? What if for years and years, the church, maybe the Church of America, has been preaching a doctrine that says, you're gonna get everything you want, just come to Jesus, invite him into your heart, and he's gonna bring with him riches, glory, health, wealth, happiness, and everything you ever wanted, everything you could ever imagine. And how long does that work out for you? How long do you live as a Christian to realize that you're gonna still experience loss and pain and difficulty? And come on, even if you're healed, you got some joint pain. I can't play basketball like I used to. You know, I'm, I'm not, I mean, you understand, like how long do you live as a Christian until you realize life is real and it rains on the, on the just and the unjust? How long do we go before we actually come face to face with the fact that life is what it is, but we serve God in it, we give him glory no matter what life is like, because he's worthy of my life, not just my response initially, but an enduring response that only he can bring about by his keeping power. Friends, I've watched a lot of people fall away. I've watched a lot of people fall away for, for some really unnecessary reasons. From every sphere of society, every area of passion, I've watched people fall away. My greater concern over this last couple of years was to watch people walk away from their first love. To watch people walk away through fear on one side or the other. I've lost plenty of friends, maybe you have. And I don't see people sometimes getting more sensitive to Jesus, more prayerful, more generous, more patient, more evangelistic. And that worries me, that concerns me because it says something about our Christianity that it could be superficial, that it's inch deep, that if I've got to go through something that's hard for me, where I got to finally pick up my cross and I didn't have to for the last five years, but now I do. And Jesus is holding me accountable to all that he taught me for the last five years. And now he says, pick up the cross. When that time comes, that will be a test of worship for every person in this room. We won't get out of it. We won't get out of it. We cannot have a casual, comfortable Christian life. That is not what it's about. It is about having eternal life. It's about having Jesus for the rest of our life. And he even calls us into places where we gotta give our life. And so often we hear this like, you know, you can have abundant life and they mean materialism and pleasures forevermore. Friends, this is an inside job. And so I'm burdened by the fact that this happens. and, And I think there are false professions that get made sometimes in church or around church gatherings and so called revivals where people get really excited. I was a part of that charismatic camp for a long time. I was. I used to speak at conferences all the time, and I saw the same people come from this conference to that conference. And I'd realize all of a sudden, as I prayed for people and as I laid hands on them, they weren't in a biblical community. They weren't accountable to people. They didn't really read their Bible. They didn't know how to have a prayer life. And they weren't that interested in really taking the necessary sacrificial steps to do it. And I'm telling you, the only person suffering as a result of that is them. And so they came to my conference and I prayed for them again and again. And everybody's jumping around like the cheerleader that it didn't make the grade, excuse me, sorry, but just bopping around and we're like, yeah, God's doing revival. This is exciting. No, it's not friends because there's people that are bound. They look good on the outside, but they're bound. When you go really talk to them, you say, Ben, how do you know? I went from camp to camp, from conference to conference, all the excited people that were up at the altar bouncing around where it looked like it was revival. It's called excitement. You might even call it hype but they're not the people that you're gonna see at Teen Reach Adventure Camp. They're not the people you're gonna see at Royal Family Kids Camp. They're not the people that are gonna serve in children's ministry. They're not the people that are gonna make sacrifices because it's superficial. The crowds come. They came to Jesus and they walked away just as fast as they came. All these so-called revivals that I've seen crop up, most of them are not. Most of them are excitement. And listen, I don't want you to be bored. I mean, one thing I don't wanna die of is boredom. but I really do believe that there is a selling of superficial Christianity. I call it cultural Christianity out there where it's like heaven, heaven when I die, forgiveness for when I sin, and I really don't have to live a whole lot different, nor do I have to be accountable to anybody. Well, friends, it's a lie. You're gonna be accountable to Jesus. These other parables that are coming in the book of Matthew, and the book of Luke. Friend, I'm telling you, it's real. We're gonna stand before Jesus at the end of our life. And we're gonna give an account for what we did with our life. We will, every one of us in this room. Doesn't matter if you like what I'm saying, it's just the truth. And I really believe to be a biblical community. I gave up a lot of this stuff in my past because I realized it wasn't fruit bearing. It looked exciting, but it wasn't fruit bearing. You know, George Whitfield was a great preacher during the great awakening. And they would bring him out into these fields and he would preach the crowds of 5,000, 6,000. You should read some of this revival history. It's incredible but you come to different conclusions when you do. So my apologies in advance, you'll get ruined. But they would ask him about his revivals. They would say, how many people got saved last night? And here's what he would always say in his interviews. We'll see. Because he never believed that if somebody in their excitement or their emotional experience truly gave their life to Jesus. He said, we'll see, fruit that remains. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher, way in the past, one of the things that he would do is never give altar calls, when he preached services, church, revivals, whatever, he never gave altar calls for most of his life. And they asked him, why don't you give altar calls? Why don't you... Ask people to respond to Jesus and give their lives to be born again. Why don't you do that? And this is what he would say. He would say, I don't want people to get swept up in the emotion or the fear of what they know is coming. I want them to make a calculated, conscious, costly decision to follow Jesus for the rest of their life. So I preach Christ to them and I preach to them about the cost of discipleship. And then he used to tell people, if you really want Jesus, meet me here at 12 o'clock tomorrow morning. And they said that there would be lines all the way around the block. Lines all the way around the block because he wasn't interested in leading people into superficial Christianity. Maybe churches are complicit. Maybe leaders are complicit. May God not allow us to be complicit in any way, whether it's we are talking about our own hearts as soil or as ministers, as sowers. May God help us. The third soil is the distracted heart. Verse 18 and 19, Jesus explains how some seed falls among the soil with thorns. I'm calling this the distracted heart. He says there are three enemies among this soil, the worries of the world, our school, our job, our future, the little things throughout the day that that can tend to consume our time. And we worry about them. We fret over them a lot. That's the first one, the deceit of riches, our money, our portfolio, our security, our retirement, our businesses. Again, he's not saying don't be mindful of them. He's saying don't be consumed by them. We're all gonna be mindful of those things, of course, but don't be consumed by them because they will distract you from producing kingdom fruit. And the third is desire for other things. This is self-passions, sinful passions. This is where we we become consumed with self. It's all about us and this will derail us. We're all mindful of these things, but we cannot be consumed by them. Distraction. Hurry, worry, and busy is one of the greatest things that we face in our culture today that chokes out the voice of God. Friend, you can read this Bible all you want. You can read it, you can study it, you can know the Greek and the Hebrew, and you can read it and evaluate it. You can recite it back to me, you can preach it, but if you don't read it with an open, responsive, receptive heart, it doesn't matter because it won't bear fruit. This isn't about reading the Bible, it's about the Bible reading us. Mm -hmm. This isn't about knowing the Bible, it's about living in what it says. These are the words from God. These are the words from God. We listen to so many other people in life, so many other people have an opinion, but these are the words from God. How do we respond to this? How do we see this? How do we live in light of, of this? but it's the distractions. It's these insignificant things that choke out the precious word of God, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. They crowd it out. Now, what we want is this fourth soil. The receptive heart is what I'm calling it. Verse 20, Jesus explains that some seed falls upon good soil, and produces 30, 60, 100 fold. And every farmer in the audience was like, wow, that's a lot because they would Maybe get sevenfold if it was a good season. So 30 is even greater. And so they're thinking, this is, this is incredible. This is, this is what we want. What's he talking about? A heart that is open, humble, repentant, enduring. The disciples were a picture of this. I mean, don't think of these people with these hearts as perfect people. Don't, don't think like that. Think the disciples, he's saying to you, to the disciples, it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, to those that inquire, to those that want to be instructed, to those that want to move beyond emotionalism and excitement and the crowd mentality, to you, you're going to understand, you're going to be instructed, you're going to endure because the word will produce something in you. The seed is so powerful that if you just stick in there and you stay true to God, the seed will do its work. You can't like make a seed. Have you ever planted something and then went outside and just like, come on, come on, little guy. Come on. I mean, it's like, you can't hype up the seed to grow. You can water it. There's, it's very specific and it's very intentional what you do for it to grow. It's very specific. Sun and water, and it has to have the right soil. It's just simple. I mean, some of you gardeners, you're like, yeah, what about the fertilizer? Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Don't ruin my illustration. Don't do it. But can I tell you, for me personally, and I think maybe you'll resonate with this, is that when I look at the four soils and I'm thinking about which one might represent the more difficult parts or the hindered parts of my life, it is, it is not the indifference. I, I, I don't believe true born-again believers have an indifference to God. We might go through seasons that are tough, but that's not what I think he's talking about. He's saying those people are just, the enemy just steals everything. That's, that's a person that doesn't know Jesus. But the second one that he talks about is the superficial heart. Maybe we struggle with that. Maybe you're in an ebb or a flow. Maybe we do. But can I tell you the third one is the most difficult for us? It's the worries of life, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of this life, the focus of this world. It's why the enemy is so invested into distracting us so that we give our life to insignificance. We give our hours to things that do nothing for us and anybody else. That's that is the investment of the enemy. I'll use whatever, he'll use whatever at his disposal to get Christians who are already born again, already know Jesus, already realize they have the Holy Spirit living in them. I will just distract them to the point where nothing of Jesus will come out of their life. Jesus might live in you, but he ain't coming out of you if the enemy has something to say about it. And that's the distraction. Let me help crowd out their hearing so that they'll never produce anything. Now, when I close, can I tell you a story and you promise me something? Just say yes up front. (laughs) I know we're not a cult, so I'm not asking you to, yeah, sure, whatever you say, Pastor (laughs) Uh, Don't be scared. I'm I just want to tell you a story, it might make me look weird, so I'm just asking you to, I probably already look weird to you, I don't, all right, just sort of thought that one through, five, maybe, I don't know, about six or seven years ago, anyways, if you've heard my story, you know when I was young, uh, played baseball, and I got hit on the side of the head with a bat, and I got knocked straight out, and so provided me a lot of problems in my life. As a result of that, if you didn't know, now you know. I'm doing good, by the way, 100% hearing. Praise the Lord. Don't pray for me after the service. Pray for other things, but this is good. Every now and again, I get a zealous person that wants to come up, put their hand on my ear. Hey, get back, okay, all right. Brother so-and-so, gotcha, already good. Uh, but I had problems with this ear, and so that went away for many, many years. It sort of came back. I started having a problem with it, and I thought it was from an old wound, but it really wasn't from an old wound. It was actually... Something, something started to grow in my ear. I know this is, I'm sorry. Oh, unclean. But uh, I I wasn't able to hear, All I have compassion. I wasn't able to hear. It got worse and worse and worse and worse. And then one day I woke up and I literally could not hear out of my ear. You could do this. I couldn't hear anything. So I'm like, all right, now I really got to go to the ear, nose, throat specialist. So I did love those people. Love them. If you're one of them, love you. He took that thing, put it in my ear, said, whoa. I'm like, is that good whoa, bad whoa? Take care of it today, whoa. What are we, what are we shooting for here? And he said, you have a polyp that has grown in your ear. Now, if you don't know what a polyp is, it's basically like, in this case, a ball of flesh. And there was no rhyme or reason why it grew in my ear, which is not comforting, by the way. They, within minutes, he had cut the whole thing out. And of course, I'm a tall boy, so I wanted to see what it looked like. It's just this ball of flesh. It's just, oh, I know you don't want to leave church thinking about that, but it's just like, it was was bigger than you think it would be. I'm not kidding. It was bigger than you think it would be. And it's all bloody. And he cut it out. And he's like, here it is. This is, I go, why does this happen? He says, we have no idea. There's no rhyme or reason for this thing to happen. And I'm like, but once he took it out, it was like, I could hear everything. It was like HD. I was like, oh, I love you, my man. I love you. And, um, I know it's a terrible story. I want to use it as an illustration to say, to say that. See, I'm using parables like Jesus. Jesus talks about seed, sower soil. I talk about polyps and bloody <laughs> flesh. And it's just, it's great, you know, modern story. You're welcome. But I remember thinking about this piece of flesh that crowded out my ability to hear. And I think if we're honest today, What we struggle with, if you're a Christian in the room, what you struggle with is distraction. It's that the things of the flesh can grow in our life. We allow them to grow. One of the reasons we fast and and seek God in prayer is because the things of the flesh can grow in our life. And what they do is they crowd out our ability to hear the voice of God. They crowd out our time with God. They crowd out our passion and pursuit of God. And really, ultimately, they take us away from hearing the voice of God. That's what they do. And we begin to tolerate it and live like that's normal. And I wanna say something to you today. I love you, but let me, that is not normal. It is not normal for the people of God to be numb to the word and to the voice of God. That is not normal. That is not normal for Christians. That is abnormal and it usually is an allowance in our life, a tolerance in our life of allowing things to grow. And God wants to cut those things out of our life, but it means that we have to surrender our hearts to Jesus not just for salvation, but for everyday living. We have to be people that are so surrendered to God, particularly in the days that we're living in. As things grow and go and continue, I don't know what the future has, but I do know this, that people that follow Jesus are gonna have a fruitful life. And whatever Jesus defines that to mean, people who follow Jesus and endure through every season, they're gonna have a fruitful life. And I've watched far too many people over the period that I've been a Christian allow themselves to be distracted and eventually derailed from following Christ. I've lost a lot and I'm just committed to not as as much as I can be an encouragement toward Jesus. I'm gonna push as hard as I can. I'm gonna push as hard as I can in an unashamed way. Do not allow yourself to be a casual Christian. Do not allow yourself to be a comfortable, convenient Christian. That is not Christianity. And if you feel like something's wrong in your heart, it's because it is. And the only way that we can make that right or change that is give it to Jesus. He's the only one that can change it. He doesn't demand the change of us. He demands, he asks us to come. And when we come, he's the one that helps change us. I mean, it's really a beautiful thing. The divine exchange is the opportunity and the invitation for each one of us. But we've got to move on. Would you stand today? And I, I want to pray with you a prayer of surrender. A prayer of surrender. Are you ready to pray a prayer of surrender? Okay, don't say no. (laughs) No matter where you're at today, don't say no. If you're here today and you have come and you're not sure about a relationship with Jesus, you don't know that you really know, like you really know him, that you're forgiven of your sin, that you're gonna be with him forever. If you're not sure, don't leave today with uncertainty because you can be sure the Bible's clear. Jesus is sure. I want you to come up after the service and pray with us. We want you to come. Our pastors will be up front. We want to pray with you. If you're conflicted today and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling. I came today and I, I don't want to fake it. I don't want to just act like it's all good. Come up front. We'll pray with you. We won't patronize you. We'll pray with you. And the God of heaven will answer our prayers because he does. He's good and he already knows. But I had this word that um, there would be some at the 11:30 service today, and I don't know who you are, and I'm not asking for a show of hands. I'm not acting like you're any different than the rest of us, but I, I had this picture of, of a few of us that came. You came very numb. You're numb to spiritual things. you're numb to the Word of God. you're numb to the voice of the spirit, you're numb to church, whatever, Whatever represents the Lord, you're numb. And it's really been difficult for you. Like in your heart, you know this is you. If it's you, you know it's you. I'm not trying to convince you. It's just, you know. And I just believe that God can make us sensitive again. God can make us sensitive to his spirit, to his word, to his people, to his purpose. God can do that today. And that's the hope that we want to pray with. So if that's you, just assume the position. And for the rest of us, let's just pray with our hands lifted to the Lord and ask for him to change our hearts, to be receptive and open. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this teaching. This teaching shows us that we're all the same, that we're all the crowd, but you call us out of the crowd to be committed disciples. And Lord, every day matters. Every time we step toward you and our commitment toward you, it matters. And Father, we just repent today, Lord, if we're experiential Christians that are just living from one experience to the other, or we just want the frills and the gimmicks, or we just want to be excited. But Lord, we realize today that there is something about following you when we feel nothing because our feelings will betray us, but your word never will. And we ask you today that you would give us hearts that are receptive, that are humble, that are repentant, that are open, and they remain that way. So we surrender to you Uh, If this is your profession of faith today, just tell the Lord, say, I surrender to you. I surrender to you. Lord, make my life fruitful. I wanna do everything you want me to do. I wanna be everything that you say that I'm supposed to be for the glory of Jesus Christ. We thank you today. I thank you for our church. Lead us to be those that receive the seed and that sow the seed of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.